My name is Scott Hemingway. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at New Life, and it is good to be with you this morning. And if you're joining us, uh, whether it's online or you're here for the first time, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you are here. And if you are here for the first time, I'd love to get to meet you and say hi. I uh, already met one person who is here for the first time, and it was great. So I'd love to be able to greet you this morning. I have three-ish things. There we go. Uh, <clears throat> to be able to share with you this morning. These are just a little bit of what's happening here at New Life for you to be aware of. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody who helped take down the, de the Christmas decorations and get the Christmas tree wrapped up and put away, and that really was appreciated. We, we thank you very much for that. Secondly, as you probably noticed, the parking lot is getting full because there are many of you here. And we are talking about what that means for us, if we're going to go to two services or not. In the meantime, we're asking that we just be aware that uh, parking is very uh, tight. And so if it's possible to bring one car instead of two, that'd be great. Uh, if you could make sure that you park so that there's room for everybody, that would be wonderful too. But... Um, and then I think as well, when you come and you sit down, um, as we sit, we think about how people can be added uh, throughout the service as it goes on. For those that come a little bit later, uh, they can easily slip in and maybe not slip by you, so you go more in the middle than the outside. Just a few little housekeeping things as we grow as a church, uh, uh, and we want to thank you for that. Third thing. <clears throat> that I want to share, and that has to do with something we did last year. Last year, we did the coldest night of the year. We joined with the Canadian Mental Health Association, and they did a, a walk, and we participated in that as a church. And here's the great thing. We brought in the most money as, as a team. So they had these teams, and we brought in the most money, and it was fantastic. Um, and I sit on the board for Canadian Mental Health, so I got a little bit of a vested interest in it. And uh, it was great sitting amongst those people and hearing and, and, and uh, hearing them talk. Uh, I don't know exactly what the initiative this year is, but we'll give you more information, and we would just invite you to be part of that in our community as uh, Canadian Mental Health does a great job uh, here. So Please stay tuned to more information. All right, I think that is all my three-ish things I have today for you. And what I want to do is uh, just introduce our community story for this morning. We support, as a church, a mission organization called One Life, One Chance. And a little bit, uh, we're going to show a video. But after the video, Chris Climey, who sits on the board for that organization, and Greg Candy, who is on our missions committee, are going to come and do a bit of an interview so we can hear more about the, the organization. So just in way of introduction, we're going to watch this video, and then the two are going to come up, and they're going to share a little bit more with us. One Life, One Chance started as a continuation of the work Brenda and I developed in the early 90s. At that time, we were young and raising a family. I was in Bible school, serving as a youth pastor at Mountain Park Community Church, and making ends meet as a construction worker. It was hard, but a great time in our life. In the summer months, I would partner with two other youth-driven guys, Chris Dick and Jay Sell, to run 10-day trips into the wilderness as a way to expand our non-churched circle. 
and hopefully show through God's creation and lifestyle that there was more. Taking it to the next level of community and wanting more, I led a team to Baja, Mexico for a missions trip. There was an orphanage we went to visit. The work was hard and we really didn't know what to expect. I developed pneumonia on my very first trip, crazy. It was difficult, but what changed me the most was the sign in the entrance to the orphanage that said, you will never be the same after you pass through this doorway. True to what it said, I was changed. And those who came with me were never the same. We still talk about that day. After that trip, God changed my direction of focus. I had an expanded worldview. I began to see the brokenness and desperate conditions of those that have less than you or I do. James 1.27 became real. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Moving forward, we ran more trips. Others came along, saw the same things we did, and God revealed to us that this was his life path for us, and especially for me. And as we continued to work with our other youth pastor friends and churches, the awareness grew and so did our work. We took on a new name, Stony Creek. Jay Sell, one of the founding members, was from Stony Creek, Ontario, and it just made sense. Especially as all of our journey to Christ is born in the hard things of life like loneliness, desperation, and a rocky path. God breathed, God loved, and sometimes a stony path to him. In 2007, God again called us to do more. I was on another trip with a team from Chilliwack. My heart was really empty because I was either done or couldn't comprehend the huge hole that could never be filled in Baja, Mexico. So I sat on the steps of an old church, looking out at the stars and just crying out to God, asking why he brought me, us, to this place of emptiness. All week we had been working with orphans that had suffered trauma, and it just felt so desperate and unachievable. I was so ready to give up. Behind me was an extinct volcano, lit up by the moon, exactly how I felt, extinct. Foreshadowed by the truth that I was empty and ready to give up, I went to bed that night in the bunk of our minibus, looking out at the light across the Bay of San Quentin, not knowing God had another plan. In the morning I woke up and everything was different. God had changed me. God gave me new life. I cried for days and was broken. Who would have ever known but the lights across that bay would someday be the location of Los Olivos and the work God is currently doing. It took a long trip north with a fellow named Phil Hills to fully vet the new experience. But one life was born and since then we have never looked back. Since that day and 23 years later, thousands of people have made the journey to Baja, Thailand, Haiti and Uganda for the benefit of others. Hundreds of homes were built for the needy. Food and medical care was given to those in need and lives were changed on both sides. I may be the founding member and president of this organization, but I serve among great people. We all do this as volunteers and this is all of our story. It takes all of us to bring hope to the broken, shelter to the homeless, and Christ to the forgotten. You don't have to be funded by a church, you don't have to be independently wealthy. You just have to take that very first step in faith. Good morning. Good morning. So as you heard, we're going to be talking about One Life, One Chance today. Um, I'm Greg Candy, and I'm obviously on the missions committee. But this is the guy who knows a lot more about it than I do. So there um, you go. Most of you know me. My name is Chris Climey. I have uh, 
been in the valley for about a dozen years and attending this church the whole time. Uh, I also serve on the board of One Life, uh, which uh, is a rather unique story. I think uh, for me, the beginning was uh, uh, my cousin was uh, in Vancouver. Um, he got involved with One Life just through his own church, uh, wanting to put a team together, go to Mexico on a mission trip. And they suggested that we come along with them on the second trip they ran. So we took the family and went down. And it was, for, for me and my kids, it was, it was life-changing. It gave them a, a different perspective. Uh, we've actually gone down twice as a family. Um, but uh, what got me really in the grips of One Life was, uh, at the time I was serving on the board at Duncan Christian School, and we were having issues with our missions program. Uh, it was, uh, we had security issues. We were having trouble getting the kids engaged and involved in the organization we were trying to work with. And uh, my relationship with One Life was such that I, one day I woke up and put two and two together and suggested to the, to the board at the school, hey, we should talk to these guys. Maybe they can, they can give us something different. And uh, that relationship was born about... Uh, 2013, 2014, I think. And we started taking the grade 12s down every year to uh, Mexico. Uh, they had an opportunity to see something they'd never seen before, to build a house, to get involved. And uh, it proved to be very worthwhile. About the same time, I was asked to, to sit on the board and uh, get involved in a, in a much bigger way. And uh, here we are today. So um, just give us a little bit of um, background about uh, what else, you know, besides building houses, um, what else do, does One Life, One Chance do down in the Baja for the people there? Okay. So San Catin, where One Life is based, is about three-hour drive south of Ensenada, uh, five to six hours south of Tijuana. Um, it's a very poor area. Its uh, economy is driven by big corporate farms such as Driscoll and, Dr and Dole. Uh, right now, most of the population, I mean, they've been there a long time now, but a lot of them are migrant workers from all over Mexico and, and Central America that came on the promise of good jobs. Didn't necessarily work out that way, but uh, great need in the valley. Um, One Life started, as you saw in the video, building small houses uh, for people that were desperately in need, but uh, that expanded. We we managed to purchase a mission base there back in about uh, 2009. Um, we offer a lot of support to the local pastors. Most of the churches in the area are very small, 10 to 50 members, uh, extremely poor. Uh, they sort of situated in their own little communities. There's multiple little barrios all over the place. And uh, most of the pastors work and then pastor the church on the side. A little formal training, so we, we, we have purposed as a mission to work with the pastors to get them, to allow them to provide to us what their needs are. We help support community feeding programs. Uh, we will support the churches to do community dinners for their people. They will bring, come to us with names of people who desperately need help and we will we will seek to support them with pastoral visits or with food or groceries. Um, we will build houses when required. Most of the houses we built prior to COVID were built by teams from Duncan Christian School or uh, New Life was had a team leaving 
on the Thursday prior to uh, the COVID shutdown, which we canceled, unfortunately. Um, we're just starting those teams back up again. Uh, a lot of the teams come from the lower mainland. Uh, we have one team that comes from uh, New Brunswick, which is really surprising. It's a long way to go. One Life is, is well situated for us as a partner. It's, it's relatively close. It's somewhat easy to get there, but it gives us an opportunity to expose, uh, especially the teens, uh, a different world, uh, to see the, the, the needs apart from their local community. Uh, we've taken First Nations kids down there that have never been out of Duncan, never been off the island, and uh, it's unbelievable how they relate to that situation, and it has changed their lives in many ways. Awesome. Thank you, and we ask for your support. Thank you. It's good to hear how we as a church support uh, different organizations, and One Life, One Chance is a great one for us to participate in. Well, it's been a while since I've actually uh, preached a full message between having people visiting, having some people come and speak, and being sick, uh, which, Andy, where are you? Usually over there. Thank you. Uh, I owe him. Um, I was texting him at, I think, 8.30 at night or something, going, I don't think I can do this, Andy. And uh, so I really appreciate that very much. But this morning, uh, with the time that we have left um, we're going to be jumping back into our series that we started in the fall, and that is the invitation to a journey. And, and because it's been a while, it's actually been about seven weeks since we've had a message on this, I'm going to do a little bit of a review. So I'm going to whip through some slides here just to bring us back to remember what we've been talking about. <clears throat> Get this going. There we go. So here's my review. Uh, first of all, it's an invitation to a journey with Jesus. I really like the part that God is always up to something, and it is our, it's our responsibility to understand what that is and then to be part of it. And he invites us to be part of his journey. It's not our life that we're inviting him into. He's invited us into his life, his world, his journey. Secondly, uh, to accept this invitation is to accept the fact that you are a disciple of Christ. And another way to put it is, that has been said, is that you are an apprentice to Jesus. To accept this invitation to, do, to be part of his journey is to be an apprentice of Jesus. And so that being an apprentice is that part of going, yes, God, I hear you, I will follow you, I will do what you are doing and what you are up to. And I, and I think probably the most important part in accepting this journey and to be a disciple or apprentice of Jesus is to be willing to die to self. And that is hard. It is hard to die to self. Uh, the things you like, the things you desire, the things you want are very strong in us. And to set those aside sometimes can be very hard. So we've talked about this, and what does it take? What does it take to accomplish this? And so we've been talking about spiritual formation. And we've, we've looked at verses like Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
That's that part of, it's no longer I, it's no longer my flesh, it's no longer my desires, it's no longer, I'm no longer in charge of my life, he is, and therefore I am going to crucify, I am going to set that, that life down and let him lead me. Dallas Willard says this about Christian formation. He says, Christian spiritual formation rests on the indispensable foundation for death to self and cannot proceed except insofar as the foundation is being firmly laid and sustained. What does he mean? Is that we can't lay any other foundation other than this foundation of dying to self. And any other foundation that we lay is really an exchange for Christ to idols, the golden calf. Because any other foundation we lay is, a, is, a, is laying a foundation that is about me and not about him. We've also used this as a, uh, as a definition for spiritual formation. And that is, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So when I say, what is spiritual formation? This is what I mean. Spiritual formation is a process. What God is doing in our lives to form us in his image for the sake of others. So it's a process. There is no magic bullet, I have said. There is not one thing that you and I can do that is going to be a magic bullet that all of a sudden we're not going to struggle with sin anymore. We're not going to struggle with the flesh anymore. But it is a process. And so with that, we've talked about spiritual practices. Or as like John Mark Comer likes to call them, practicing the way of Jesus. And so we, we've looked at different practices Practices, oh, I should just go back here. Just that this process happens when we abide in him. So John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My spiritual awakening, my spiritual life, my spiritual fervor, my spiritual transformation is what he does when I am willing to surrender myself, my control, to him. And so we talked about how to do this. It doesn't just happen because I come to church on a Sunday morning or I pray when I'm desperate, which I think you should come to church every Sunday, and I think you should pray when you're desperate. It's not just when I'm opening the Bible and reading a couple verses, although I do that daily. It happens when we're intentional about how we live our life. And so we talked about what that looks like. We talked about silence and why, why do we practice silence? Because silence is being in the presence of God so that he can talk to us, where we tend to rush in to talk to him. We talked about confession. And confession is good for the soul. And when we confess, we, don't, we, don't, we keep short accounts with God. And in so doing, we don't walk in our sin, but we walk in the newness of life. It's part of surrender where I will say, here I am, God, not my way, but your way. 
And then I, I encourage you to look at a life inventory or put a rule of life down of how you will operate in your relationship with God, technology, friendship, work, money, retirement, play. We are do all these things. If you're not doing something up here, you're dead. But you're not dead because you're sitting here, so I know you're alive. But you go about these things. You go about your relationship. You as parents with your children and children with your parents. You go about your work or your retirement. You go about your, your, your technology or your money. You go about it with a certain way. You go to school and you go about school in a certain way. And what this is, is this saying, are you intentional about how you live your life before God in these areas? Because if you're not, you will do something because you, you can't just live life without it. As somebody has said before, spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing because we are not static, but we are dynamic. We are constantly changing. We're constantly being shaped. We're being formed every second of every day. And so what I get excited about when I think about Christian formation is I think about what this is, is that the life that Christ has offered, this abundant life, this is the way that you and I access the abundant life. This, this life of the, of the cross, what Christ has done on the cross, crucified so that sin no longer has mastery over me. This is the way into the access of the cross. I don't know about you, but I want abundant life. I don't want to just live any ordinary life. I want to live that abundant life that Jesus talks about. Don't you? And so we do that as we apprentice as we follow Jesus, as we are his disciples. And therefore, it becomes something that we intentionally do. So, I want to share another practice with you today. And as uh, John said last week, and he mentioned about New Year's resolutions, this isn't a New Year resolution, all right? But this is something that I believe that is great to start in the new year and carry it through. We, we did this last year as our house church. We're going to do it again this year. And uh, Rain and I have practiced this. But anyways, before I get there, let me set up a little bit more of where I'm going this morning. This year, we're a week into 2023. And it is filled with all kinds of possibilities. We don't know what those possibilities are, do we? We don't know the twists and turns, the ups and downs that we're going to experience. We hope there are more ups than downs. Some of you had quite the year last year. Anybody? Like, like you're going, whoa, my goodness. Yeah, I, let's not hit repeat, all right? Let's not hit repeat. And Lauren, I see you raise your hand back there, brother. Yeah, you don't want to hit repeat on that. No. And when you started 2022, you had no idea. We have no idea what 2023 will hold. But I do know this. It is a year that you have an opportunity to journey with Jesus. 
and he's given us an invitation to do so. And so how we approach this year, I think, is important. And I think there are good ways to approach the year, and there are not so good ways to approach the year. And so what I hope to do is I hope to bring us to a place where we can, we can start the year in a, in a place where we are looking for God to lead and to guide us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's a story of Bartimaeus. And we're going to start in verse 46 of Mark chapter 10. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. Verse 46 says, And they came to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Sure, it was quite loud. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So with this story here, I think uh, what's probably good to know is, is that Jesus comes into Jericho, and from Jericho to Jerusalem, you're on foot, you're not in a vehicle, because there's no vehicles, he didn't use any animals, so on foot, it's an eight-hour walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. I kind of have it in my mind that, that the disciples arrived there. Jesus and the disciples arrived in Jericho. They probably stayed the night. They got up the next morning. They're heading out of town. And Bartimaeus is sitting there doing his normal begging that he would do every day. And he hears that Jesus is coming along. And he cries out. And, and he's asking Jesus to hear him. And, and so, whoa, <laughs> what am I doing? Is that distracting? <laughs> All right. Can we get back to my slide? Am I there? No. I'm... Oh, okay. It's not back there. I'll just look up here. So there are three things that I want us to learn from this story. First of all is this, that Bartimaeus had a deep desire to encounter Jesus. He had to. When he heard that Jesus was there, he had a deep desire to, to encounter Jesus. Because when he cried out and he was you know how you do with your kids? Quiet. Shh. He wasn't going to have it at all. He cried out even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, he wanted to have an encounter with Jesus. Secondly, is that Jesus asked him a question. He asked him a question. Isn't that curious? And the question, we're going to look at that question that he asked him. And then third is, is that Jesus responded to his answer. So, Here we go. 
So he, he, he cries out. He has a deep desire to encounter Jesus. And here's my question for you, is that what is your desire for 2023? What do you desire for 2023? Do you desire to have an encounter with Jesus in 2023? Are you sitting there looking and saying, oh, if Jesus passed by? Because he is. He's here today. What kind of encounter do you want to have with him? What kind of desire do you have to encounter him? And Jesus asked this question, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? If you go back to uh, chapter 10 and verse 35, you actually see something happening there with two disciples. The sons of thunder, they're known as. And they ask Jesus, they come down and they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, we want something. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Same question. And these two disciples are asking that they would be placed in a position of power and authority and recognition. One on his right and one on his left. When he sits there and he's ruling the world, they want to be one on his right and one on his left. And I think it's good to note that because as we come to God and we say, here's 2023, and I'm on this journey, on this road of 2023, what, if he asks you, what do you want of me? What will your response be? Will it be like the disciples who say, I need this, I want this, I want to be in a place of importance, I want, I, I want something from you, God? Or is it a place of, God, here I am. <laughs> I desire to be with you. What I really find interesting is that, is what happens to Bartimaeus. Because Bartimaeus is healed, and do you see what he does? He follows Jesus. He follows him on his journey, where he's going. So what would your response be? Or what question would Jesus be asking you? Is it, what do you want me to do for you? Or is it something different? But I believe that each one of us, as we sit here today, we desire something from the Lord. Maybe it is healing. Maybe it's restored relationship. Maybe you're sitting here and you're single and you would like a special someone. And none of those things, I don't think, are wrong if our heart is right. But I think it's important that we sit before the Lord and say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to? God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the day that you were conceived, and he knows the day you will take your last breath. When I wake up in the morning, within the first bit of my waking up, 
I often pray this prayer. I say, Lord, thank you for waking me up today. I didn't wake myself up. I didn't unconsciously go, oh, I'm going to wake up now. No, God woke me up. Thank you for waking me up today. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your day. I'm not inviting him to be part of my day. I recognize he's invited me to be part of his day. Therefore, God, I surrender my mind, my will, and my body to you. I recognize that you are in control, not me. Therefore, it is my goal this day to understand what you are doing in the world around me and to be part of it. I do that because I need to remind myself that I am not in control. Bartimaeus was not in control of his life. Jesus was. You're not in control of your life. And when you try to be in control of your life, it's like this and not like this. And I can tell you, it doesn't go well when you try to hang on to things. So, what to do with this? Well, where I want to take us is is to close off in, in a practice. So what I have done for the last couple of years is I have looked and sought God for a word of the year. What is one word that God would give me that I could travel through the whole year with? Anybody else do this? Who does this? Anybody? Good? Fantastic? I love it. Rain and I have been doing this for the last few years, and it's fantastic because it helps to guide, it helps to lead, it helps bring me back to why, I am, I, why am I here, and maybe anticipating what may take place. And so I look for a word that God would give me for your one word, a word like faith, maybe hope, maybe peace. I was actually talking to Ben uh, Williams. We, uh, we, did a little, we did a little call. Man, that guy is just, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And as if the guy just, I don't know, he's, whoo, that, that's Ben. Guy is flying high. Anyway, Ben and I are talking and I said to Ben, hey, Ben, this is what I'm doing this Sunday. He goes, oh, I like that. And I said, so I think you should do it too. And he goes, I got it. I know what my word is. I just love it. Sometimes it'll come like that. It'll come really quick. And other times it takes a little bit of work and effort. But that, ye- that, that word guides me through the year. My word last year was trust. Ah. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay, God, I'll trust you. You betcha. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good. It was good to be reminded that I can trust him. And I can look back and I see where I trusted him and I can see where I didn't do a good job of trusting him. But man, I am so glad that God gave me that word for this last year. So here we go. How do you seek God for a word of the year? Well, you sit by the road of 2023 and you wait and you give it time. Don't rush it. So for you that are introverts, sitting quietly is like, yes, I like that. Sit quietly. Seek the Lord. And it may take some time. You may do this two, three, four times. We're only eight days into the year. You've got lots of time. 
For you extroverts out there sitting for any amount of time, it's like, oh my goodness, a Ben Williams? Whew, I can't do that. So I tell you, go for a walk, a solo walk. Go for a solo hike. Go for a solo run. But be intentional if you're an active person, be intentional about what you are doing. Can you imagine, I see there's a group of young people here, can you imagine God giving you a word for what you will encounter in this year to come as you are in school? What that would be? How it would transform your life? All right, secondly, Bible. Have your Bible. Have your Bible ready. Because I like to not just have a word, I like to have a verse with it, and God will give me not just a word, but he'll give me a verse. So this year, my word is rest. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to take naps, although that would be great, getting a little older, don't mind naps, but it's not that. It's resting in him, a little bit like trust, but different. And so the, the verse that he's given me is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But have a, be ready. Be ready for a, a, a verse that he'll accompany or verses. Next is this. Have a pen and paper. Write it down. Write down your word. Don't just have it in your head, but write it down. And then write down the verse. And then take a bit of time to sit there with the Lord and say, what would this mean to me right now? As I'm on the road of 2023, what would it mean for me? What are you saying to me? And write it down. And then here's where I will bring things to a close. What do you do with the word? Well, if you write it down, stick it up. Stick it up wherever you're going to see it. You might stick it up two or three places, but stick it up somewhere to be reminded of that word. Set some dates in your calendar because it's easy to forget that you've actually got a word. So set some dates in your calendar to remind you. Do it maybe quarterly, three times, four times a year, and come back and say, God, where am I? Where have you, where have you shown me yourself in this word? What are you teaching me? What have you taught me? It's good to review. And then pray regularly to God about this word. I oftentimes, in my time of silence, I sit there and I say, okay, God, I'm going to rest in you. And then he reminds me that I'm feeling anxious about something. I'm worried about something. It's not too much rest when you're worrying. Not in him. And so as I pray into it, he reveals and he shows I want to encourage you, this walk that we are with, this apprenticing with Jesus doesn't just happen because you asked Jesus to save you. That's the beginning. That's the first step. Going forward is so much greater and so much better. And do you not desire, do you not desire to live in the abundant life? So I would encourage you, church, look for a word of the year. Walk in it. Practice it. See where God leads you, what he reveals. I have some sheets in the back that have this information on it. If you want to grab them, you'll see them. It says invitation to a journey, and you can grab them. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you 
that you are with us, that you journey with us. That God, you are so desiring and asking us, what do you want of me? And I pray, Lord, that the church's heart and passion this year is to say, I want to be apprentice of Jesus. I want you, Lord, to do a work in me that brings me to a place where I am more like you. Father, I thank you for the work you're doing. I thank you for the work that you are going to do. And Father, that we can trust you in the year to come. In Jesus' name, amen.